<laughs> well, I, uh, I suppose like a lot of you, it's frustrating how much time it can take to be recognized for your gift of comedic genius. Um, I've been at this now, uh, 76 days and, uh, I don't even know if anybody in this room, uh, would say I'm a comedic genius, let alone be recognized by the community at large. And as I see you persist up here on stage, I think, well, there's, there's more work involved here in this comedy open mic night scene than I had first assumed. And, I mean, if you think about comedy before ever attempting to uh, participate in comedy, then you think about things that aren't practically involved, like conceptual what is funny or how do people go from crying to laughter so easily? What is it that triggers our internal, I want to feel good mechanism that brings out laughter? All that kind of stuff. But that's just the, we'll call that the art of comedy. And then once you start to appreciate what it would take to walk up on stage, you're starting to think of the craft of comedy. And the craft of comedy is something that a lot of people would say is the barrier between what gets them giggles around the Thanksgiving table and what makes a true comedian. There is art to all level of laughter, but there is craft to creating laughter. And this part is challenging. This is the part that I spent July working on. I watched all of you. I learned many, 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 many things about all of you. And I learned mostly that the craft of comedy is difficult. To create laughter in a room where none exists. Well, can you feel lonelier on stage than attempting to make that work? And so as I watch the evolution of you individually in that space, all through July, mostly through June, now here in August, I see the vulnerability and the confidence. I see the cowardice and the courage. It, it's everything at once up here. And that makes me really understand the community that has evolved around all of this. Because the camaraderie that exists among you is that as long as you're willing to get up here and participate, then you're welcome. It really doesn't matter what you do up here. And that was where I had to come to settle over the last two weeks in order to return and think, yeah, I want to be a part. Because involved in all of this, unfortunately, is the business of comedy. And like everything else in America, uh, when it comes to making it a business, it takes what is pure and ruins it. Well, I don't have any interest in the business of comedy. 
and I don't have any interest in the development of material for mass consumption. I have interest in the conversation and opportunity it is to be as vulnerable and as real and as good-hearted as this stage presents an opportunity to be. And having learned from all of you that this isn't a negligible space, this isn't an incidental occurrence, and this isn't just something to do on Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday, and Monday nights. This is a chance to connect. You've connected with me, even though you don't know it. I've tried to say hello to as many of you as I can, but now I'm here to connect with you. So, <laughs> universe, hello. It's 11.59 here on the 14th of, wait, 14th? No, it's the 15th. It's Tuesday, the 15th of August. And now it is Wednesday, the 16th of August at midnight. Welcome to the 16th of August, all you eavesdropping CIA case file workers and that MI6 worker who is, well, we won't tell the CIA you're listening. <clears throat> okay. The five-minute opening that you heard before my uh, sobering welcome is essentially the context of what I'm trying to lay down on my open mic nights this week. And um, I accidentally cut off the end there, so I apologize for that. But um, I... I <clears throat> I learned a lot of lessons tonight at the open mic, and I got home about an hour and a half ago. I'm on my way to work, so uh, obviously it's time for dabs. Hang on, pause. All right, unpause. All right, I've had a dab or two. Now I'm trying to get my bike lock so that I don't forget it, and I can play tennis on the way home from work. Slot makes me do it twice, half the time, but only half the time. Uh, and obviously, I could be getting user error, but I don't get user error half the time. Alright, so compelling talk radio, though, this is. Pause. Unpause. Well, third time was a charm, but that lock. Um, hang on, pause. Alright, unpause. So what I was trying to say is the open mic uh, night tonight <clears throat> was a mix of both me learning things and me teaching things, <clears throat> and, uh, and always a mix of being kind to everyone which there was plenty of reciprocated kindness as well. The community is accepting me, even though I've been on the periphery, which is a little strange. Like, I didn't think until I jumped feet first into the deep end there'd be as much um, recognition as there has been. Which, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know what that indicates. But it leaves me, at the end of all of these evenings, having at least gained some 
community camaraderie and some inclusion energy. And these are good things to feel, especially when it's um, a clever and crafty and <laughs> and um, and creative, curious, whatever you want to throw in there that's also with a C or a K or a silent PK. Um, your choice of kryptonite and none of that does the comedy necessarily demand, um, but it's it's there. And it was there in some cases tonight, just overwhelmingly. So bravo, Denver uh, amateur stand-up open mic night comedians. I thought tonight's performances at the 26th Street Tavern were outstanding. Sorry, Tavern on 26th Avenue? Yeah. <sighs> Pause, more dabs. Okay, let's dab and, and chat. Because... I'm at that point in the relationship with Phoebe where I've made the appointment. So, uh, essentially, I've decided to murder my dog. And I know that's not fair. Phoebe is not being murdered by me. In fact, the whole concept of a dignified death that is available to canines and not mankind or homo sapiens sapien, whatever we are, uh, I, I do see the the lack of humanity bestowed upon humans that is bestowed upon dogs. So, and especially now that we're in a state where her her ability to enjoy her day is down to zero. She can uh, hope to not shit and piss herself, but she's only going to succeed at that one third of the time. The rest of the time we'll be cleaning her up or hauling her to another spot to try to clean up where she just barfed her. It's to the point that life means less than it needs to. And while I will clean up every mess the universe wants to provide, she does not need to lead this kind of undignified existence for my solace. And that's just where we're at. So, with that note of kindness to the universe for putting me in a position of doing the right thing, well... Thursday at 2 o'clock, we'll be doing the right thing. So between now and then, lots of hugs, lots of meats, and lots of love. And a couple dabs for myself. Pause. Unpause. Um, this is the 41st episode of whatever chapter this is. Could be no one knows. And while I haven't had as much stage time, as I would have predicted I'd have had by now, I've had enough interactive time in the community, persistent um, relationship building, to really feel um, compelled to maintain uh, my go-forward momentum with uh, developing some level of stage presence. And I keep seeing myself unable to tether my on-stage persona to four or five different sets of five-minute jokes. The guy tonight did a whole uh, whole set on colorblindness. It was pretty funny, especially when you take into account that he did it all on colorblindness. And... It's the kind of thing that if you're an aspiring comedian, you can really appreciate his 
attempt at at drilling across material into all sorts of vectors to come at the jokes uniquely and uh, and still with with some gravitas and it's one thing to do six different knock knock jokes all different takes on being colorblind it's another thing to do six different types of jokes all taking colorblindness as their source material so when you see those kinds of warm-up um, material tests it's uh, it's again seeing the skill of a comedian develop pause I gotta kill this mosquito hold on Un- unpause shit I don't know where he went I think I missed him fuck I slapped right at him too Evasive motherfuckers. Hey, the reason that I said I had an opportunity tonight to learn and teach, one, I got to see a lot of comedians craft um, of joke material uh, presented in ways that were clever and and in some ways I don't think I'd seen before. But two, just randomly, sat next to a young comedian who's been doing it almost exactly as long as I have. And was there with a notebook doing craft uh, notations. And what's funny is I was sort of doing that in my head, thinking I don't need to write this stuff down. I need to remember some of these word plays or inventive introductions or however you were perceiving the clever uh, take on whatever comedian was doing. And, <clears throat> and so 75 days in to have somebody else two months in sort of explaining their both uh, unexpected circumstances and uh, and favorables that were uh, just as unexpected. The pros and cons of where you are two and a half months into this thing are not what you expect. And I'll give you some examples. Um, you do not expect... <clears throat> that one of the um, more um, uh, inclusive things will be the comedian community itself. You do not expect that one of the more uh, challenging things will be to find your voice on stage enough to say what you mean to say. You do not expect to find the um, the context of certain moments on stage to be so surreal that they lead you into material you don't even have intent of distributing. There are just times when what you're really having to learn in months one through 1,000, but starting in month one, is who you are on stage and how to voice what you have to say to the audience from there. And until you really got that down, yeah, you can learn the craft of comedy all you want. But writing a great joke is nothing like telling a good joke on, lo- or on stage to an audience ready to hear it, turning it into a great moment. And if, if all you ever write are good jokes, but you have great stage presence, you're a great comedian. And there's no way to have great stage presence without believing that you're funny. And I think... Tonight, one of the things that I was able to say to this young comedian is, don't forget the whole reason you're here is because you're funny. 
this can all sort itself out so long as you can believe you're funny on stage. And then everything that you do from there will help the material come, the inspiration come, the voices come, the call-outs come, whatever it is you're trying to create. You'll do it by believing in yourself on stage, not in a notebook. So study the craft of comedy. Take two years of graduate school comedy for all I care. Do what you need to do to feel like you've given it enough bandwidth to immerse yourself in the possibility. But then go up and just dive in. And even though that's the advice I'm giving, it's obviously the advice I'm also receiving in my own head, thinking I need to hear this as much as I'm, rece- as I'm distributing it. I even said that at uh, one point in the conversation. I'm not trying to be a hypocrite because all of these are words that I'm telling myself simultaneously. And yet, neither of us went, were going to go on stage that night. And I almost went up at the oh ah fuck oh I just said nope oh man I almost had a serious eye injury but I don't <laughs> that's lucky so I was going to go up on stage at the end but I had a curious thing happen and I'm wondering like ah oh, fuck if the if the routine around um, serving alcohol has changed because I watched myself and two other patrons both of whom were just sitting at the bar drinking, all get our tabs at the same time, and I don't think any of us asked for them. I know I didn't. And I may have indicated at some point, like in some gesture, to close me out. Um, I don't know. I really don't. And frankly, I only wanted to get a Diet Coke and then leave. Um, But I didn't even really want to stay for the Diet Coke because it's starting to get dark. I don't have my lights. I have to ride through the park where the goddamn ticket riders are. Uh, so I was like, fuck, I should just go. And even as I'm turning, thinking that the server asks me as she's handing me my card, if there's anything else, if I want another round before she closes me out. And I'm thinking, huh, I just had my second beer, which means that is there a three, this could be a three beer maximum bar. It could be, I don't even know. Because I've never had three beers there. I wouldn't know that that's a, a maximum. So and it was just, it was strange that instead of asking me if I wanted another one, she asked me if I wanted something before she closed me out. Which to me is a weird way of cutting people off, but also a very smart way of handling uh, somebody never leaving your, your bar drunk. As soon as you know you could be serving them one before they'll be drunk, that's the last one you're serving them. I... I, I mean, it had never happened to me like that before. I've been cut off in bars routinely when I'm wasted. But I've never had somebody proactively keep me from driving home drunk, which is exactly what I think she was doing. And I'm on a bike, so I'm not driving home drunk anyway. But it was an interesting... I actually was very appreciative of it. And I thought, well, if I've been cut off, I don't want to. I don't want to acknowledge the fact that it was done so elegantly but I want to say that's actually really good service from somebody who used to attend bar I wish I'd have known that trick to use I never would have thought to be proactive one drink in front of something like that and again uh, do I care if I'm seen as a problem by a 25 year old bartender as some 54 year old dude drinking beers at the bar no she should keep her eye on me I don't give a fuck but even if I am perceived trouble that I'm not to handle it in this way keeps me from even saying, 
what are you cutting me off for what? I mean, it's such a, it's such a, a, it's such a calming of all waters because I'm being offered another drink. And frankly, that's enough. It really is. I mean, uh, I just, I, (laughs) I was so, (laughs) I was so swept away by the moment of this occurring that I decided I had to leave. I didn't wait to go on stage. So it also indicated to me that that meant I had to go to work tonight and some other things had to happen, including coming back here and making sure Phoebe and the cat were good and getting this little recording done. Because by the time I get home tonight, I'll have thought of or this morning or what time is it now? It's almost one. Uh, what time is it? This, the real clock says it is. What time is it, please? 1234. So I'll be starting at one. That means I will work until 9 and then be home. And when I have had all that time to think, I'm sure I'll have thunk some thoughts that are kind of thinky. And when I've thinky some thoughts that are not so fun, I'll write them down and we'll process them alone by myself against the wall like an echo. With you thinking, did I download this or did I just stream it? Because if I use my data to listen to this, oh, I use my data either way. I gotta, uh, what am I doing with my life?